for this morning as we walk through our our series. If you're new here this morning, we're walking through a series on Genesis called The Gospel According to Genesis, uh, the early chapters of Genesis. And when you look at chapter 4 especially, just a couple of things to, to say before we really get started. Scripture here is presenting itself as real history. As you read it, it's, it's really saying this really happened. These were real people with real circumstances, real situations, in real time. And this is history. And so throughout this text, you're going to see the continued history of the downward spiral of sin. What are the consequences of Adam's rebellion? Uh, what is the Lord going to do in response to that? So you not only see the, the downward uh, the downward issues of sin, but you also see in this real aspect of history, God's faithfulness to His people. And even as history, you're going to see in the book of Genesis that it's almost as if like God doesn't work through any other family unless they're severely dysfunctional. There's got to be a lot of dysfunction going on here, and that's the family often in Genesis that God will choose to work through. So Scripture as real history is what we're dealing with here in Genesis chapter 4. But it's also this. One of the things I've tried to remind us of as we've gone through this series is that, is that Moses isn't just speaking into a vacuum or writing into a vacuum as he writes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and the other books of what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books. He's speaking to Israel in the desert just as they have come out of uh, Egypt. And as he's talking to them, especially with this story, remember this, they would get so mad at Moses that they would try to kill him. And Moses in many ways is saying, this is not the first time this has happened. It actually started after the fall. That the anger grabs such a hold of you that you might even be willing to kill so, someone. So it's not just Scripture as real history. The scripture is also being written to some extent as a counselor to help you understand your own heart. In some ways, as a counselor, it's saying, let's talk about Israel, your family of origin. Let's talk about Adam and Eve and what happened there and how it impacted the next generation, Cain and Abel. And then we'll see how it impacted the next generation, the next generation. We get to Lamech, who's bragging about wanting to kill everybody. Anybody who in any way gives you conviction, you often want to kill. In fact, even that's going to be the case with Moses. I'm trying to understand or help you understand your own heart. Scripture would say lots of sin, lots of dysfunction, not only issues of family of origin. Uh, a counselor that I've enjoyed reading is a guy by the name of Terrence Real. And he says this, I think this is applicable to this passage. Family pathology rolls from generation to generation like fire in the woods until one person has the courage to turn and face the fire. That person brings peace to those that come before him and spares the generations that follow. I mean, what you're going to see in this text is just dysfunction and anger just steamrolling and capturing more and more momentum and more fire destroying many more lives throughout the book of Genesis. We might call it family dysfunction or theologically, as you see in Genesis 4 and all throughout, you could also call it original sin. That in the bloodstream of humanity after Adam and Eve fall is guilt 
and corruption. We've also called it total depravity. Not that we're all as bad as we could be, but that this reality of sin has infected our minds, our emotions, our will, our affections, everything about us. And Genesis 4 is coming in as not just history, but also as a counselor to say, not just Israel in the desert back then, but all of us in this room right now, let's understand our hearts so that we can understand our heart's need for God's grace. One of the things I want to do this morning, we're going to walk through this passage a little bit differently than normal. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to gradually walk through each section. Let me pray as we move forward. Father, as we engage Genesis chapter 4, help us see it as real history, not only as the downward spiral of sin, but as your continued faithfulness to your promises despite our sin. Father, you'd also use this passage as a counselor to our own hearts. We would navigate what's going on inside of us and how it often causes us to sin against you and others. So Holy Spirit, help us understand this, your word, and point us to the word Jesus Christ and see our need for him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look first at your heart's personal devotion to God, and then we'll look at your heart's personal interaction with God, and then finally, just corruption run rampant. But first, your heart's personal devotion to God. This is where the passage begins in verse 1 of chapter 4. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, it's very likely that in light of the promises that God has made to Eve earlier in chapter 3, that she might be thinking, okay, God promised that uh, one of my offspring, either now or further down in generations, would come and, and crush the head of the serpent, would deal with sin. Maybe Cain will be the one to do that. Maybe he's the man that God would raise up. We see that that's not necessarily the case in verse 2. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. So it's telling you a little bit more about these, these brothers that were born to the same family. They come to the point where they at least acknowledge that this, this God who has made promises to their mom and dad, Adam and Eve, is worthy of their worship, is worthy of their devotion. There's this internal sense that a sacrifice should be made. Now, You'll know here that this is not a sacrifice to atone for sin. This is simply what later on in Scripture would be called a, a sacrifice of praise or a thanksgiving offering. And really what it's saying is, God, you've been so good to us and you've shown us mercy and grace, just like you've shown our parents, Adam and Eve, mercy and grace. We know that you are worthy of our mind's focused attention. We know that, that you are worthy of our heart's deepest affection. And we're acknowledging that you're worthy of, of my life's complete devotion. And as an act of worship, we bring this for sacrifice. You'll notice what Cain brings. Verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And it says in verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. 
And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So you have to ask the question, why would God accept Abel's offering and, and not Cain's? Some people have said because Abel's was a blood sacrifice, although the, the text doesn't explicitly say that. Some will say because Abel brought the first and best of his flock, and it seems like Cain just brought some of his crops. The only thing we know for sure is what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. It says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than, uh, than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Abel is coming and he's offering this sacrifice by faith. He trusts this God, this Yahweh, who's made himself known to Adam and Eve and now to Abel. And he says, you alone are worthy of all my heart's affection and devotion. Here's the sacrifice to you. It's devotion from genuine faith. And listen, even by reading this passage and knowing that Moses is talking to Israel, this is what God is saying. This is what I desire of my people. As I show you mercy and grace every single day, that, that your life would be devoted to Him. That your mind's focused attention, that your heart's greatest affection and your life's deepest devotion is committed to Him because He is your God. And so when you worship Him in that way, you do it by faith. Trusting in Him. But it seems like in light of what Hebrews 4, 11 says, Hebrews 11 chapter 4, that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith that Cain did not. Abel's is a devotion from genuine faith and Cain's is a devotion from pretended faith. One of the things that the book of Genesis will show us, and Jesus' entire ministry will show is that sin can be running absolutely strong in your life and you try to cover it over with worship, with pretended devotion, that you maintain the motions, you repeat the rituals, you have a convicted conscience, and so for some kind of reason, you keep your commitments to this outward form of worship. First John actually says this, First John chapter 3, verse 12, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. We're starting to get a picture now of what's going on with Cain and Abel. That, that Cain is living a life not of faith. It's really living only for himself. But he still goes through the motion and offers this sacrifice. I wonder if that still happens today. That as we all gather together, outwardly, we're all doing the same thing. We're communicating with our lips that God is worthy of our heart's affection, worthy of our mind's attention, worthy of our life's devotion. And many of us are coming by faith, trusting in the goodness of the God who has given His own Son for us at Calvary. Yet at the same time, the New Testament shows us over and over again that many can come out of a sense of saying, I don't come by faith. I come out of a sense of saying, I guess this is what I do if I feel guilty. Uh, I, have, I have to do these certain things, and somehow doing those things 
make me right with God. And somehow this can cover over my sin. But it's not genuine faith that's driving everything. It's simply a desire to cover over the sin that is real in our lives. So you see right off the bat here, in your heart's devotion to God is Moses is speaking not only to Israel back then, but God is speaking to us here this morning. When you gather to worship, is that a devotion of genuine faith? Or devotion from a pretended faith like Cain? You'll notice his response in verse 5. It says, But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. That's what you're going to see throughout the rest of this text is anger run amok. You know, it's, it's interesting. I would say this. I'd love to kind of just dive into that and understand anger a whole lot more this morning. But let me at least mention this. In some ways, what anger is saying is I define the kingdom according to my desires and I demand that it come now. And if it doesn't, and you in any way get in the way of my kingdom coming and my will being done, I will be angry. I will be angry at you. For some of us, we turn into an iceberg, cold, distant. Others, we're a volcano. We can erupt at any moment. We'll see what Cain is here in just a few verses. But Scripture takes anger extremely seriously. That's why Jesus in His own ministry, right at the beginning in the Sermon on the Mount, would say, You've heard that it has been said, You shall not murder. But I say, if you are angry with your brother, you've committed murder. I mean, you can almost see people going, are you, are you serious? I mean, just, just anger. And he's saying the seeds of murder are in the early flames of anger. Or here's another way to get to see, see the seriousness of, of anger in Scripture. Out of all of Paul's lists, and Paul gives various lists of different sins in almost every single book that he has, but one of the very few sins that's mentioned in every single list, every single time, is anger. I think what Scripture is saying through that frequent command is that it's very common among humanity. This issue with anger. I don't know if you're like me, but usually the quick response is like, I don't get angry. It's not a problem for me. I'm not an angry person. Let's pause. Here's a situation for me. This is when the kids were younger. Uh, And there was no like volcanic eruptions here. But let's say I've had a a hard day at work and I'm at home and I'm resting and uh, I'm watching Seinfeld because that's what I do all the time whenever I get off of work. And I'm just enjoying a quiet evening and maybe I've got a book and the kids are in bed and I've got a cookies and cream shake. I mean, it's just a a perfect world for me right now. And all of a sudden, one of the kids come down. And let's just say I feel anger start to rise. If you were to ask me initially, I could say, well, it's because they got out of bed and they shouldn't. But at a deeper level, it's going... They are breaking the rules of my kingdom. Go to bed at nine. Don't mess with me. This is my happy place. But what is it for you? What is that moment where here's your kingdom 
everything's going well, but if someone steps into that flash of anger, and you may have enough self-restraint to not show it, but inside you're roiling, or maybe you do show it. But anger is a real issue. And you can see it for here for Cain. It says, and he was very angry. That's your heart's personal devotion. But how about your heart's personal interaction with God? How does God come and interact with Cain here in this text? I will say, one of the first ways God interacts with us, interacts with Cain here in this text, is to some extent like a very good counselor. You'll notice God pursues Cain. He comes close to Cain. He interacts with Cain in verse 6. It says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? I think it's always good just to notice what God doesn't say and how He doesn't approach Cain. Maybe like I would, like a parent, and go, Stop being angry! As if it's that easy just to turn it off. Right? Or, Start being peaceable. I mean, just a little bit? Come on. Get your act together. Now, his first question, like any good counselor, is why are you angry? Now, at each point you'll notice, not only for Cain, but even for all of our hearts, when we sense God is engaging with us, there's an opportunity to either soften our heart and be attentive to God's Word, or to harden our hearts and reject His Word. And so God comes and says, why are you angry? It's almost as if, you know, Cain could say, I, you know, I know, but I don't know. Maybe you can help me with this. Something's going on in my heart. I have these thoughts towards Abel that are harsh and wrong. But God comes with a good question and says, why are you angry? In other words, he's also saying, Cain, stop. Breathe. Slow down, because anger puts you in hyperdrive. And anger makes you think all of these thoughts of this is why they're wrong, and this is why I'm right, and this is what needs to be done. And God is saying, stop reacting and take a moment to be reflecting. Why are you angry? And of course, one of the things that Cain could say is, well, because, and again, if this would be a perception, not necessarily true. I mean, here's Abel, my brother, offering the sacrifice, you accept it, and he just walks around all day long thinking he's better than me. No wonder I'm angry, as if the answer is that obvious. But I love how the Apostle James says it in James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you desire and you don't have and so you murder. In other words, he's trying to say, Cain, what is it that you want and that you desire so much and simply because it's being blocked by your brother or by someone else and that you're furious right now? Cain, just think a moment and reflect what's driving your anger. God is trying to get to his heart, not just to stop his actions, but to help him understand and engage his heart. And you'll notice in verse 7, it says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, in other words, he's saying, listen, if, if you look to me by faith too, like your brother, you'll, you'll be accepted. Not because you've done something, but because you've looked to me by faith. So as a good counselor, he not only comes with a question, but also with a caution. 
you know, sometimes counselors have the ability to see things that we don't. And sometimes it might get to the point where they might need to hint at a, a caution for you as they see your life or your heart heading in a certain direction. And you'll notice that God does that here. It says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. I, I love how here's God trying to engage Cain. He knows Cain's world. And he doesn't just simply give him a statement of truth. Sin is dangerous. He actually uses the imagination and says, sin is like this, this lion, this devouring animal waiting outside your door, more powerful than you, and it wants to take you out. It wants to devour you. But you've got to respond. You've got to rule over that. You've got to know this is happening. You've got to help. You've got to ask for help from me in the midst of your weakness. Get strength from God. He likens it to an animal that wants to take him out. You know, Moses could also be communicating to Israel, hey, Israel in the desert, that's true for you. Satan wants to devour you. You know, that question is true for us here this morning, that the, either this morning, if you are angry, or sometime this week, when you get angry, to stop reacting and just take a moment of reflecting and say, God, would you help me understand why I'm so angry? What is it I'm desiring that's, that's getting blocked? Or what is it that I have that I feel like someone is threatening to take away that is making me so angry? And to know that not just the question is appropriate for all of us, but also the caution. Sin seeks to devour everyone in this room, including me. It's amazing how in, in the Gospels when Jesus warns Peter, He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. The word there, you, is in the plural. All you disciples. Satan wants to sift all of you like wheat. Peter will later go on to say in his first epistle, he will say, Satan rolls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He hasn't changed. He wants to take every single one of you out today. And that caution is just as true for us as it was to Cain, and we've got to be on our lookout. One of the funnest things I like to do with my kids is watch National Geographic shows. And we were watching, uh, was it Planet, what was it? Planet Earth or something like that. One of those big shows. And so they get back from commercial break, and there's this spider on this rock. And you're like, man, this is a big spider. That's amazing. And so they start showing a bird hovering around and like, getting over here, looking at the spider, getting over here, and you're like, man, that spider's going down. That bird's going to get a meal today, and it's going to be a huge meal, massive spider. So all of a sudden, you see the bird go in for the strike, being like, that spider looks delicious. And then all of a sudden, if any of you have seen this, you see this massive snake just go, and just take the bird out. And you're like, I didn't see that coming. I mean, it's amazing, right? And so they call it, the spider viper. And it only lives in the rocks of Iran. That's the only place it lives in this world. But its tail is shaped like a spider. And its color is such that you can't see it in the rock. It's totally camouflaged. And it sits there and it waves its, its tail around, attracting the bird. Here it comes and it doesn't know what's waiting for it. But as soon as it gets close, venom. God is cautioning Cain, saying, if you get close to this sin, 
that time where It'll God you encourage, comes to you as a counselor with a question and a caution and soften your heart to say, Lord, help me deal with this anger inside or harden it and say, no, I'm going to keep on going. And you'll notice what Cain does in verse 8. It says, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The fruit of his anger. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? You notice that God doesn't come to him now as a counselor, but as an investigator. A crime has been committed. Murder has happened. And now he comes to him saying, where is Abel your brother? I'm looking for him. Now God knows the answer. It is an opportunity for Cain to confess just as God comes to us over and over and over in patience saying, I know what's there in your heart. You can confess it to me. You're, you're safe. Do you remember Adam and Eve? They, I showed them mercy. I'll show you mercy. And you'll notice it says, he says, Cain responds by saying, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? In other words, he's respecting, he's rejecting responsibility for it. And he's continuing to harden his heart. Verse 10, it says, what have you done? Again, the Lord knows. Cain could go, I've killed my brother. And we know for a fact throughout the rest of Scripture that there are people who have murdered others and they said, God, would you have mercy on me? And God said, yes. But here Cain doesn't take that option. When God says, what have you done? He continues uh, his charade of what's going on. So God comes not only as a counselor in Cain's personal interaction with God and also in ours with a question and a caution. Now he comes with an investigator. What has happened? Now he comes as a judge. You can see this in verse 10. It says, The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, here's the, the curse that's going to come, the judgment that's going to happen. It shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. That's his punishment. He will be a wanderer throughout the earth used to have a home with Adam and Eve and with his brother, and now he doesn't have a home at all. And that is his punishment. It's just good to remind our hearts this morning that when you know you're going down a path either because of sin or that could lead to sin, God comes to you, asks you questions in His Word. He gives you a caution. In that moment, do you soften your heart and turn towards Him in faith and repentance or do you harden your heart? You'll see that the spiritual corruption as we get to our last point goes more and more and deeper and deeper in verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You see that? This is regret. This is not repentance. There's a huge difference between regret and repentance. Repentance says, I have sinned against you, Lord. I've killed my brother. It grieves me that I have done this. And it grieves me that I've gone against your counsel, against your caution. Would you have mercy on me? But regret says, I'm sorry I got caught. I hate these consequences. 
which is exactly what Cain says. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. All he's saying is, man, this stinks. I don't like this. But it's not true, deep repentance. It's ironic that Cain, the killer, is concerned that someone's going to kill him. And God could go, well, Cain, tough luck. The wages of sin is death. And if someone kills you, I could care less because you deserve to be killed because you killed your brother. But instead, God continues to show him patience, continues to show him his mercy. Notice how God gives him a, a sign, something that put a mark on him lest he be killed in, in verse 15. And the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. In other words, God is saying, I still care for you. Whatever that sign was, we don't know what it was. He put a sign on him so that no one would kill him. Not only was God patient with Cain, but he protects Cain. And we'll see later on that he provides for sinners like Cain. But even in judgment, God is merciful. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm banishing you to wandering for the rest of your life. But I'm not going to allow you to be killed by others. But oh, by the way, if you ever choose to wander home back to your heavenly father, I will welcome you. You can come home to me. The New Testament says that God is patient towards us, not willing that any should perish. In other words, there's a stay of the final execution so that if our hearts are softened by his grace, we can turn and experience His mercy again. Now, not only is it regret versus repentance here, but you can see um, cultural development and spiritual decline. You have all these generations in verse 17. Culture develops. There's cities. There's metallurgy. There's music. All kinds of things happen. But then Lamech is born. Look at what he says to his wives in verse 23. Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. We're not talking about revenge. We're talking about justice and vengeance multiplied. The first song in Scripture of Adam towards his wife saying, I love you so much. The second song in Scripture is, I'll kill you if you mess with me and your entire family. Boy, that's a dysfunctional family. Anger just continues to set everything on fire. Proverbs 29.22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 22.24, Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Now, I doubt that Cain told his kids and they told his kids and they set up a lecture and said, let me tell you how to be good and angry. Step one, be really mad. Step two, feed it every day. Step, you don't have to learn it that way. You learn it by simply being around it. And it feeds something in your heart so that by the time they get to the generation where Lamech is born, it's anger across the board. Well, how does God provide here? How does He provide for Cain? For sinners like Cain, for sinners like us here this morning, you can see in verse 25, Adam knew his wife again. 
And she bore a son and called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him, Seth and Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. One generation after one generation after one generation. Luke chapter 3, the genealogy of Jesus. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Jesus comes from this line. The Messiah will come from this dysfunctional family. If Cain's or Abel's blood cries out for vengeance and justice, listen to Hebrews 12. In the new covenant, you've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and you are sprinkled with blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, Abel's blood says justice. And Jesus, who was killed by his own kinsmen, just like Abel, his blood speaks mercy to you. So he says, is there sin in your heart and in your life? Is there anger? Whether it be volcanic or iceberg-like, whatever it is. What sin is there? You don't have to run from him. You don't have to wander towards him. You simply return to him and ask mercy from him. And his blood does not cry out for justice. His blood cries out, for mercy for you. The downward spiral of sin. The faithfulness of God when Scripture portrays history. As a counselor, God comes and invites us and He says, why are you doing this? But caution, sin's coming after you. But you can always take refuge in Him. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this word in Genesis chapter 4. There's so much there and so much more we could have talked about this morning. Lord, help us not to be quick to say we don't get angry, but help us to see where there is anger in our hearts and to not harden our hearts like Cain did, but to soften our hearts towards you and to realize that even through this family lineage that was so dysfunctional, you were working in your faithfulness to provide a Savior for us whose blood cries out for mercy. Lord, help us to receive that mercy this morning once again. It would soften our hearts and draw us ever closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.